Knowledge is the fuel that powers intelligent buying and selling. So get a quick recharge with me, Ron Edwards, Master Sommelier and Director of Wine Education for Winebow, Fine Wine, and Spirits. Welcome back to WineSmart. Today we're going to continue our series in food and wine pairing, dealing specifically with the topic of sugar, both in food and in wine, and how we deal with that as uh, wine and food professionals. Sugar is an important component in some wine, and it's a prominent component in a lot of different foods. So let's have a little commentary on sugar in wine, first of all. Most of us cannot really identify sweetness left by sugar in solution below about 10 grams per liter residual sugar. It's not that we don't notice it's there, we just define it differently, more as a less tart fruit profile or um, just a little bit more round wine. And then many wines that are considered dry uh, to the taste actually have residual sugar in them and we just don't know it. So that's really important to realize, you know, up to about, you know, that three or five grams per liter in a Albarino or that eight or nine grams per liter in a Riesling is actually in the wine. We just don't see it because of the balance of all the components. Then there's also this really wide range of residual sugar in wines when we look at the global category from zero to something crazy and extreme like Tokai Essencia. Because of all these factors, it's really great to get the tech sheet and know exactly what's going on chemically in the wine as well as your own personal tasting of that wine before you get serious about pairing it to a, a menu item in a restaurant. When we talk about the actual food and, and just the menu items and the componentry of plates, sugar absolutely loves that environment, meaning sugar and food are a beautiful combination. We know that. We love sugar. Sugar, like salt, pops flavor and adds complexity to recipes and even texture. And so because of that, fruit is hiding on our plates and in our menu items in more places than we might give it credit. It's definitely going to show up in fruit. Yes, it's natural sugar, but it's there. Uh, A lot of traditional sauces have sugar in them. Barbecue sauce, almost all of our salad dressings, all gastriques, which are sugar, vinegar, and a fruit base normally. Uh, Many condiments like ketchup have sugar in them. Uh, Most factory-made classic red pasta sauces will have sugar in them. And even the recipes when you make them at home, if you look at them carefully, you'll often find sugar included. Now, it may not be enough to matter, but it's there. And then on, you know, if you delve into the um, Asian cuisine, a lot of Japanese and Chinese recipes, uh, especially the sauces, balance salty and tangy with some sort of sweet element. And then of course, chefs regularly include sugar or a sugar substance like honey in a dish to counterbalance aromatic heat or salt. So it's actually almost safer to assume that sugar is in our meals than it isn't. And so let's talk about sugar and and, and the way it works with other food items as an indication of how we should work with it when we start pairing wine. First of all, sugar exposes a lack of sugar. So if you take a moderately sweet morsel and you compare it to something that's intently, intensely sweet, all of a sudden the less sweet item feels almost not sweet at all. And a great example of that is how not sweet cake tastes compared to the icing that's on it. Sugar also calms the impact of acidity on our palate. This is a natural, right? Lemonade, raspberry preserves, ketchup, barbecue sauce, all of these things are uh, an indication of where sugar in the recipe calms the effect or balances the effect of some sort of acidity. Sugar also calms the impact of capsaicin heat, that burn of spicy peppers. And we see this in play in tons of Thai and Chinese dishes where they are used in tandem to create balance. 
Sugar and salt are a wonderful thrill to the palate because they're sort of diametrically opposed to each other and yet very pleasurable at the same time, so salty and sugar are something to watch for. Sugar, as we learned in the last episode, covers up bitterness of tannins. That's why we put cream and sugar in coffee. And then, of course, sugar and fat combined increase richness and texture in the food. So now let's take these general principles and bring wine into the conversation. All right, so this idea of sugar exposing a lack of sugar. This is never more true than in the case of wine. A wine without sugar is drastically exposed when the food is sweeter than the wine. The further apart they are, the harsher the experience. In best practice, the wine needs to have more sugar, or at least as much sugar, as the food. Otherwise, the wine will start to fall apart. In the beginning, would be it would start to taste fruitless when it's just a little less sweet. And in an extreme where the food is definitely sweet and the wine is definitely dry, it just gets harsh and steely and mean. We learned in our acidity episode a couple episodes back that acidity doesn't need sugar to balance it. It needs acidity of the same order. However, sugar in the wine can make up for a slightly lesser acidity by balancing out the food through sweetness interaction with acidity. For example, extra dry Prosecco is not terribly tart, but it works very well with fresh fruit because the sugar and the acid combined balance out the natural tartness of the fruit. Sugar against capsaicin, evident dishes like Thai food, is absolutely a must. You know, to be noted later, capsaicin amplifies the burn of alcohol. We'll do that in a later episode, but it's downplayed by sugar. So when facing dishes with aromatic heat, sugar is your friend. This one, Now, this is absolutely true in the lower levels of capsaicin intensity, but once you get to elevated um, aromatic heat, most wine just isn't going to work if not you just got to abandon wine entirely. But until that point, your secret weapons for these dishes are wines with low alcohol, elevated acidity, and lots of sugar, or at least two of those three, uh, things like Mosul Riesling and Moscato d'Asti. Sweetness of a wine set against something salty is absolutely gorgeous. And we've already had this experience, hopefully, but I'm going to give you a couple of examples, um, just practical, like pork belly and Spätlese Riesling, or classic Riette out of the Loire Valley, and classic Vouvray with, uh, you know, 12 to 15 grams of residual sugar. Prosciutto and Prosecco. All of these things just pop together. And we can also use a little bit of a lie by um, putting a really fruit-forward dry wine against something that's salty. And as long as the alcohol is in check, because um, salt amplifies the alcohol effect in the mouth, it'll turn out great. For instance, duck confit with a 13% alcohol by volume. Pinot Noir is magic. But if that Pinot Noir is 14%, mm, not so good. Sugar and tannin is real specific. Um, If the sugar is included in the food, it does indeed calm tannin. But if the tannin is in the wine, it tastes terrible. Uh, So bitter tannic elements in the food like endive or chicory, they respond really well to some sweetness in the wine. Just be careful of taking Uh, tannic wine and putting it against a sweet item, that will not work. Sugar and fat are fast friends in uh, pairing wine and food, and there's some classic examples that prove that, but the general concept here is that fatty foods are highly textured, which needs to be matched. And fatty foods are very rich and need an equal richness for the pairing to work. So when you have residual sugar in wine, it adds texture. When you have residual sugar in wine, it adds richness and intensity. And that's why things like classic seared foie gras 
is so magical with something like a, a Sauterne, a sweet wine from Bordeaux, or a sweet wine from the Loire Valley made out of Chenin Blanc, like Cotes de Chaume. There's also this principle now of how, you know, sugar absolutely loves food, meaning it's always happy to be included in a dish. It works out well in almost every case. This also bridges into the concept of the way we pair wine. Wines with perceptible sweetness harmonize with a larger variety of foods than dry wines. Difficult wine and food pairings are often solved by a wine with some sweetness. So based on what I covered in the podcast on acidity a couple episodes ago, and this one, the food-friendly wine list shouldn't surprise you at all. Uh, Topping the list are Cabinet and Spätlesel-style Rieslings from around the world, especially from Germany. They go with just about anything. Traditional Brut Champagne-style wine. So Champagne method, but having, you know, that 8 to 12 grams per liter residual sugar, are super happy with a long list of foods. Extra dry to demisec sparkling wines are food lovers for so many of the things that are common in our cuisine. Off dry to demisec Chenin Blanc from around the world, really great with food. And those quote unquote dry rosés that actually have 10 to 15 grams per liter residual sugar, really magic with food. And last but not least, you probably didn't think I was gonna mention this one, but Lambrusco. Traditional Lambrusco from a good producer that's well-made is super food-friendly. In summary, I want you to live into the idea that sugar loves food, but the relationship is conditional, and here's the condition. There needs to be more sugar in the wine than there is in the food for the pairing to be magic. And I hope that all of this information helps you learn that you need to include residual sugar wines in your food and wine pairing options. Check out the show notes for a link to a food and wine pairing overview video from my LinkedIn account. Until next time.